Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll consider the second half of this wonderful chapter from our beloved brother Paul to the saints that were at Ephesus. I read earlier to you that the four beasts fell down and the four and twenty elders in heaven representing the Old Testament and the New Testament, twelve tribes of Israel and twelve apostles of the New Testament. The twenty-four elders fell down representing both Testaments and they worshipped and praised and sang a hymn that they were thankful for the redemption that they had out of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And we want to consider that right now from this second half of Ephesians chapter 2. Before we do it, let's briefly remember where we've been. If we come to chapter 1 and we look at verse 1, our beloved brother Paul tells these Ephesian Gentiles that God had chosen them in Jesus Christ before the world began. That's in verse 4. In verse 5, he had predestinated them to be adopted by God through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We saw that in verse 6, that to the praise of the glory of God's grace, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. We look in the Word of God and we're told as ministers to rightly divide the Word of truth. There are concepts in the Bible that need to be divided. And one of them is salvation. We first of all divide salvation into its eternal phase because we look in chapter 1, we see that God chose some in Christ before the world began. We call that the eternal phase of salvation because it was based upon the will of God before there was even an earth. Do you know when your name was written in the book of life? Before the foundation of the earth. Revelation 13, 8, Revelation 17, 8. That's when you were chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began. And you were predestinated. That means your destiny was determined beforehand that you were going to be a son of God. God was going to save you out of this fallen race to be His Son. So we have the eternal phase of salvation. But a price had to be paid. So God chose us in His Son, Christ Jesus. And He sent Christ Jesus into this world 4,000 years after the foundation of the world, 2,000 years ago. And Jesus Christ paid the legal price for our redemption. He shed His own precious blood. And that's the legal phase of salvation. And that's right there in verse 6 where it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The Beloved's Jesus Christ. God having chosen us in Him, then Jesus dying for us, Jesus dying made us acceptable to God. The issue, the big issue in salvation, is not us accepting Jesus or us accepting God. It's God accepting us because we're in Christ Jesus where we were chosen before the foundation of the world. When we stand before God, the issue that is going to be foremost on our souls is God going to accept me. And do you know what he says here? He chose us and he predestinated us that he would accept us because he made us acceptable in the beloved. If you look at me, there's nothing acceptable about me. Nothing. But in Christ Jesus, I'm clothed in his perfect righteousness and I'm perfectly acceptable to him. Thank you, Lord. You, Amen. The Lord is so good and kind to us, and so we have the eternal phase of salvation, 
then the legal phase of salvation. And this morning we covered the vital phase of salvation in the first ten verses of chapter 2, where it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now think about that. That's chapter 2. In chapter 1, he told these Ephesian saints, You were chosen in Christ before the world began. Then he said, You were made accepted in the Beloved when Jesus Christ died for you, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, verse 7, the legal phase. And then he says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We had that dead nature. My parents, who contributed to my first nature, left me with a body that's dying and a soul and a spirit that had no interest in the things of God. And so he quickened me from that state of spiritual death and gave me a living new man inside me. It's a new man created in righteousness and true holiness. It loves the Lord Jesus Christ always. It always wants to do what is right. It loves hearing the Word of God preached. So I have a new man because I've been born again. I was born once, but it wasn't good enough. I was was dead in trespasses and sins, and so I was born again by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, operating when and where and He will. Because the Bible says that we are born not of blood. That is not racial descent from the Jews. No connection to Abraham is going to help here. We are born again not by the will of the flesh. It's no one's decision that gets them born again. Nor of the will of man. Parents can't do it for their children like Catholics and so many others believe by bringing their babies for a, for some christening event. But of God. It's the Lord, it's God that saves us and regenerates us by the washing of regeneration. So we have the eternal phase of salvation before the world began, Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, and sometime during your life being born again. Jesus Christ said to each of us, live. And in that voice, like He spoke to Lazarus in the tomb, we came into life. He didn't offer Lazarus life. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And that voice itself was a life-giving voice that raised Lazarus from the dead, just like we are quickened when Jesus Christ says, live to us. And the Holy Spirit regenerates us by putting a new man that is alive toward God in our hearts. Then when we hear the gospel, we say, that is the truth. I love that message. I love that Savior. I want to obey that Savior. That's the result. And we call that conversion... And that's the practical phase of salvation. And that is a lifelong process. When I was born the first time, it took me about a year to walk. took me about two years to get potty trained. And took me about three years to talk intelligently, if I could do it then. took me five to ride a bike. You know, we, we make progress slowly with my first life. And we're given that new life when we're born again. Cornelius was born again before he ever heard the gospel. Cornelius was in his house praying to God always. He was fearing God with his whole house. He was giving alms to the people that God accepted. He was born again. But he needed Peter to tell him a few more things, just like I needed my parents to tell me that there was a room in the house called a bathroom. Just like my father when he brought home that first little red bike with two wheels, and I fell off it so many times. But eventually I learned that if I would jump on that thing and pedal, I could go somewhere. You remember, you all did that. And you know, when we're born again, we have a new nature inside us, but we're not taught very well. And the gospel ministry comes along and starts to teach us the Word of God. And the new nature says, that's the truth. I believe that. 
I love that. Teach me more. And we hear it and we grow in grace. And we grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we bring forth more fruit. And we bring forth more righteousness. And so we have the practical phase of salvation. Oh, there's still one salvation yet to come. You know, the Apostle Paul said, Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He wasn't saved yet. Romans 13.11 Paul said he wasn't saved yet. Well, in one sense, he wasn't saved yet. Are you looking forward to the next salvation? Our bodies are going to be ripped out of the ground, put back together and glorified, and we're going to be reunited in heaven, body, soul, and spirit, and we're going to be with the Lord forever. And that's the final phase of salvation. That's how the Bible divides up salvation. As you go through Ephesians, you get parts of all of it. And so we've come to verse 11, and it's going to be about that practical phase of salvation. These Ephesians were Gentile pagans. Remember, we went to Acts 19 and found out about these people. We went to Acts 19 and found out that they were practicing witchcraft. That when they heard the gospel and believed that Jesus Christ was king and not the spirits that they had been worshiping, they brought all their magic books together and burned them in a big bonfire in the city of Ephesus, Acts 19. And what was the value of all that material? 50,000 pieces of silver, and it says so mightily, grew the word of God and prevailed. Amen. When men's lives are changed by the preaching of the gospel, it grows mightily. They, they burned all their stuff. What stuff should you be burning? If we're talking about witchcraft, you shouldn't be a Ouija board in anyone's house. You shouldn't know how to spell it. You shouldn't even know what it is. I'm sorry that I even told you there was such a thing. No Ouija boards. No horoscopes. We don't go to soothsayers. We don't go to fortune tellers. I even hate fortune cookies. Some little Chinese cook in the back room that's putting together a little bit of wheat and water isn't going to tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. What is it? The year of the dog? What is what is this year? The year of the dog. Oh, how noble. It's the year of the dog. Let's worship the dog. That's why I hate fortune cookies. They don't know what's coming tomorrow. There's only one being that knows what's coming tomorrow. It's my Father. And He's God in heaven. And He told me not to have anything to do with witchcraft. We don't get very excited about Harry Potter. In fact, we would have a bonfire of Harry Potter if we could because Harry Potter is promoting witchcraft to the youth of America. That was Ephesus. Here's the problem at Ephesus. And I I wish you'd grip this. They were Gentile pagans. They weren't even close to being descendants of Abraham. Do you know that 85% of your Bible was written by Jews to Jews? Do you know that the Ephesians were a long way from being a Jew? And so are you. I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you're a German and you think that the Germans have a good work ethic. They have no hope and they're without God in the world unless Jesus Christ brings them in. I don't care where you came from. I guess I came from the British Isles. I'm like most of you. Do you know what I am? I'm a mongrel. I'm a mongrel. I can't claim descent from any place. I'm so mixed up. I, my poor dad can't even tell me for sure what, I'm, what I am. You know, my mother wants me to know that I'm half Canadian. But uh, even though she's an American citizen now. But those poor Ephesians, look what they were. 
They were across the Mediterranean Sea. They were pagan Gentiles. You know, they weren't even from the right father out of the ark. They weren't even from Shem. They weren't in Abraham's line. And look what the Bible has to say about them. And let's start at verse 11 of Ephesians 2. And let's get excited because, brethren, we're Gentiles. Did you hear Brother Chad's reading today? Rejoice, ye Gentiles. Rejoice. Did he say it more than once? Did you like how Paul just kept quoting verses from the Old Testament that applied to Gentiles being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and converted by his preaching? Paul, Paul loved his job. Paul loved his job. Do you want to hear about some of the perks? He was beaten three times. Five times was I beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I was in peril of robbers. I was in perils in the city. I was in perils in the countryside. I had the care of all the churches. In fact, I had to be let down by a basket one time to get out of the town of Damascus. Those are some of the perks of his job. But he loved his job. And do you know what he would say sometimes in the Bible? He'd say, I magnify mine office. I love my office and I want to make it as big as God made it. And do you know what that office was? The apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is our man. That's why we love to study Ephesians and the other epistles of the New Testament. Did you hear, Chad, when he read that Jesus Christ was a minister to the circumcision? Jesus Christ was a Jew and he preached to Jews only. Do you know what he said? He said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you know who he said that to? A poor Gentile woman. Do you know what he told his disciples? When you go out and preach, you are only to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What book of the Bible do you start getting excited at? The book of Acts, brethren. At the book of Acts, we start to get excited because in Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel to them, and they were converted. Did you get a little bit more excited in chapter 10? Mm -hmm. In chapter 10, we meet Cornelius the Italian. Any Italians here? We got some Italians. Cornelius was of the Italian band. He's the first Gentile. And Peter went and preached the gospel to him. And he was baptized. And Peter had to go back to Jerusalem and explained and explain the incredibly new thing he had done, and that was to preach to Gentiles and baptize them. Acts chapter 11. He was called on the carpet for baptizing a Gentile. Are you get excited when you get into chapter 13? In chapter 13, there were some few preachers in a city called Antioch of Syria. Syria is still there. You know where it is. It's north of Israel. And there's a little Antioch right there. And Paul was a preacher there. And the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul, Saul, at that point, separate me, Saul, for the work that I have for him. And do you know what it was? It was to preach to you. Amen. You know what I mean by that? It was to preach to the Gentiles and to write epistles that we have right now. This is to us. Right. Look at this, verse 11. Look at this. Paul tells these Ephesian saints to remember something. Right. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is a dismal description of somebody's history. But that's our history. They were Gentiles. God had chosen Abraham. After the flood, after the Tower of Babel, 
men spread out a little bit more. They didn't like to spread out at first, and so God helped them with the Tower of Babel. But then they spread out, and Abraham's living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And God calls one man, and he takes along his wife. And out of those two sprang Isaac. And out of Isaac sprang two twins. God hated one and loved the other. And out of that loved twin, God brought forth the twelve tribes of Israel. And God dealt with those people. Do you know what the Bible says about that? The Lord God said, Of all the families of the earth, I have only known you. That's Amos chapter 3. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, He says, I set my love upon you. Out of all the nations of the earth, I set my love upon you to be my special people. Not because you were the greatest of all people, but because you were the smallest of all people. I set my love upon you Why? Because they were better than others? I set my love upon you because I loved you. The love of God is based in His will. God told Moses, and Paul quoted in Romans chapter 9, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. When God loves a man, it's because God chose to love that man. And when God has mercy on a man, God chose to have mercy on that man. God chose the nation of Israel in the flesh. Not all the nation of Israel was saved. But He chose that nation for His worship. He gave them the Bible. Are you still thinking about my percentage? You want to go calculate the pages? 85% of your Bible was written by Jews to Jews. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever seen how small the New Testament is? See, the New Testament's only a quarter of the Bible. But the Gospels are still describing Jesus preaching to Jews. Jesus is still saying things like in Matthew 23, He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatsoever they bid you to observe, do. Just do not after their works. He's still telling the Jews to obey the scribes and the Pharisees because He was a minister of the circumcision to the circumcision. I don't care where you came from. It doesn't matter what side of the earth. It doesn't matter what language group. It doesn't matter what national ascent you have. We were cut out. Because God chose that one nation. He dealt with them all the way from Abraham until the Lord Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. And then He brought in the Gentiles and united them together in one body. And that's what we're about to read. But those poor Ephesians over there, For 2,000 years, they knew, they had heard, they had heard the history. They had read the history in the Bible. If you were going to worship God, what city did you have to go to? Jerusalem. Remember the woman of Samaria? I know I could be turning into these places, but I want to try to end on time. So you don't want me to turn to these places. Remember the woman of Samaria? She said, our fathers worship in this mountain. And you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem. What did Jesus say? The hour is coming when neither in your mountain nor in Jerusalem is the Father going to be worshipped. But the Father is going to be worshipped in spirit and in truth in Greenville, South Carolina. That's what He said. Because the Gospel was going to go out to us Gentiles. The Jews had everything. They had a priesthood. They had a Day of Atonement. They had a sacrificial system. They had all the ordinances that God chose for them to worship Him. They had a little physical ordinance that happened to eight-day-old boys when they were circumcised. And so that's what that 11th verse is talking about. 
the Gentiles were ridiculed by the Jews because they weren't circumcised. What did David say when David came with some cheeses and some bread for his brothers when they were fighting the Philistines and he sees that nine foot nine inch giant come out? What did David say? He said, come on. Did he say something about what's that uncircumcised man blaspheming the God of Israel? That's how Jews thought of Gentiles. That's how they thought of you. That's how they would have thought of me. There was a great divide between them. The Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews. The Jews said you can only worship in Jerusalem. You can only worship in our temple. You can only worship with our priests. And God dwells in a little secret room that we have that you can't see that our high priest goes into once a year with blood, which is called the holiest of all. We have a special right that distinguishes us as Jews from all other men. And that was circumcision. And the two hated each other. And there was a difference made. When God sent His nation into the land of Canaan, there were seven nations in the land of Canaan. You remember, you've read all the Ites, Hittites, Jebusites, and all the other Amorites and Canaanites. There were seven nations. And God said, wipe them out. Annihilate them. They're so wicked. They look like Americans. They look like Americans when you read about their sodomy and adultery and other sexual crimes in Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. They looked a whole lot like Americans. And God said, wipe them out for my people's sake, Israel, the Jews. And so there was that distinction. The Jews hated all other nations. When Jesus Christ arrived and preached, what was one of the ways they tempted him? They came to him and said, should we pay tribute to Caesar? Because they already had a nationalistic spirit that hated that Roman government. Always a division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so we read that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Because Paul is reminding these Ephesians to think about where they came from. And we need to think about where we came from. We were cut out of the worship of God. We had no part in the church of God. That Old Testament was called the church. It's called the house of God. It was the temple of God. It was the kingdom of God. It was the household of faith back then. That's where the people of God were. When you think of all the the great patriarchs, Abraham, and you think of Isaac and Jacob, of course, and Moses and David and others, you're thinking of the church of the Old Testament. But those were all Jews. What's an American to do in the year 2006 and what's an Ephesian to do in the year 55 A.D.? He's cut out. He has no part. In the worship of God. He has no right to church membership. He has no sacrifice that can be offered for him. He's without God and he's without hope in the world. Now quickly, it says that at that time, verse 12, ye were without Christ. When it says ye were without Christ, this is where we rightly divide the word of truth. This is where Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That at that time, that at that time, ye were without Christ. Now think about these Ephesians. Did, did chapter 1 tell us that they did have Christ? In what way? The eternal way. Because they'd been chosen in Christ. So they weren't without Christ eternally because God had chosen them in Christ before the world began. Had they already been made accepted in the Beloved? Verse 6. So they were already legally in Christ. Are you with me? This is how we study the Bible. They were without Christ legally. Have we already seen them quickened together with Christ earlier in chapter 2? 
They're with Christ vitally, but what were they not? They were not practically in Christ, and they had no right to worship God. They had no knowledge of Christ. They had never heard the gospel of Christ. They had never heard the message of peace through Jesus Christ. They had never heard that the sacrificial system had been done away by Jesus Christ. They had never heard that His perfect righteousness was was put upon every one of His elect. They had never heard any of that. So it is a practical relationship with Jesus Christ that is in that 12th verse. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You know how practical that is because not everyone that was in the commonwealth of Israel was a child of God. It's speaking of a flesh relationship. In verse 11, didn't it say according to the flesh? According to the flesh. We are talking about the outward external means of worshiping God in His kingdom, in His household, in His temple, in His church, part of His congregation. Do you follow that? So when it says that at that time you were without Christ, that means they were without Him practically. They had no knowledge of Him. They did not know there was a Savior. It's just like Cornelius. He did not know he had a Savior. He was elect. He was justified. He was regenerated. But he didn't know he had a Savior. Who told him? Peter. Who told the Ephesians? Paul. That is what we're getting to right here. Isn't that what you read, Brother Chad? That Paul was going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he went and did it, including the city of Ephesus. That at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Alien! You're aliens! You know, that used to mean something in our country. It doesn't mean much anymore. But it used to mean something that we were alien. you were an alien. But we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were not part of that nation. Do they still call Kentucky the commonwealth of Kentucky? Yeah, I, th- I thought so. You were aliens. You're, you're no citizen of this state. And that, that description there is that we were cut out of the worship of God. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise. All the promises that spoke about Christ, they didn't know them. And they didn't, certainly didn't know the interpretation of them. Having no hope. There was nothing to give them hope for the future, which in Christ there's lots of hope. Abraham had tons of hope. Abraham, because he looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was looking toward heaven. Abraham had hope, but there was no hope for Gentiles. And without God in the world. They, were they without God? Or had God already chosen them in Christ before the world began? Had God already accepted them in the Beloved? had God already quickened them by His grace. But they were without God in the knowledge of God and how to worship God and what God had done for them. This is the practical phase of salvation as we come down through chapter 2 after verse 11. And so it tells us in verses 11 and 12, because they were Gentiles, they were outside the nation of Israel and the church of God. They were outsiders. There was that special group of people over there that worshipped the true God that had the covenants of promise, that had the worship of God that He had ordained, and we Gentiles are cut out. But! Now we had a good but in verse 4, didn't we, of chapter 2? Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, for with He loved us, overcame all that sinfulness of verses 1 through 3 and quickened us. Now look at the but we have in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The problems of verses 11 and 12 are wiped away with verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, remember in time past, now, 
What was the state of the Ephesians now? They were converted believers. This is practical salvation. This is talking about their practical relationship to God. But now, in Christ Jesus, that is in the personal, practical relationship with Him through the Gospel. Believing on Him. Knowing about Him. Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And he's going to explain that. Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, accomplished two things according to this chapter. Two things. Number one... He reconciled us to God by wiping out all ordinances that condemned us. Can we find that in this passage? Because I'm running out of time. Look at verse 16. And that and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So verse 16 tells us that one of the purposes Jesus died was to wipe out all the ordinances that were against us and the Jews. Because notice that it says to reconcile both unto God. Both Jews and Gentiles. We didn't even have the ordinances. You know, we looked from afar. We were afar off. We looked at afar and saw the ordinances that the Jews had and said they've got the true worship of God. But they, in and under the ordinances, realized that the ordinances condemned them. We didn't even have the means to condemn us. We were so far away. If we could have got closer, we'd have just got more condemned. Are are you with me? God had to take care of both by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's legal. When Jesus Christ paid the price, that is legal. But it's the consequences of that legal payment that wiped out the carnal ordinances that stood between Jews and Gentiles and that stood between Jews and Gentiles and God. Two things. And if you keep those two things straight, you can blow right down through these verses. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Far off from what? Far off from the worship of God. Far off from His church, His congregation, His house, His kingdom. You've been brought close by the blood of Christ because it eliminated the ordinances that condemned you that said Gentiles don't get in. Keep out. Uncircumcised, bye-bye. We're brought nigh by the blood of Christ who wiped all of that out. Verse 14, for He is our peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is our peace who hath made both one. Who are the both? Jews and Gentiles. He's made them into one entity. One church. One kingdom. One household. One temple. I'm going to use different words because the Bible uses different words. For He is our peace who hath made both one. This is not He made God and us one. That's taught in other places. The both here are Jews and Gentiles into one body. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That middle wall of partition is not between us and God. That middle wall of partition is between Jews and Gentiles. You know, I could go off and tell you some story that I could read in commentaries, which I've done, that tell about a wall in the temple at Jerusalem. You know, the Gentiles couldn't come past. I ain't going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you to read the words. There was a wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles could not worship like a Jew. Verse 15 tells us how he got that wall of partition down between Jews and Gentiles. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. There was animosity and an adversarial relationship between God and Jews and Gentiles because of the ordinances. And between Jews and Gentiles because of the ordinances. Listen, if you've ever read the Bible... 
the Jew, the Jews made their boast to the law. God gave us the law. You don't know anything, you ignorant, stupid Gentiles. And the Gentiles looked in and said, oh, we wish we had those ordinances in the worship of God. The Samaritans tried to fake it in their own mountain. So there was animosity between God and men because of the ordinances, but those ordinances also created enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you remember, the two things are happening at once, as Paul describes here, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ wiped out anything between both and God and wiped out anything between Jews and Gentiles to make of twain one new man, one new body, one new church, one new kingdom, one new congregation of the Lord, one new house of David or tabernacle of David. Right. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, what is it? What's the enmity? Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. He wiped out those distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. Does God care anymore whether a man circumcised or not? He wiped it out. Who paid for that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Titus was a Greek. When Paul chose Titus, and he was a Greek, and the Jews knew he wasn't circumcised, Paul could have made them happy by circumcising Titus. Did he do it? No. Why? Because he wasn't going to be subject to someone still trying to hold those ordinances up when Jesus Christ had put them away. If you go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says that Jesus Christ abolished those ordinances. He wiped them out. The Sabbath law was wiped out in Colossians 2.14. That's why we go there when we're dealing with Seventh-day Adventists and say, see, Jesus Christ abolished that Sabbath day. And the Apostle Paul said, never judge a man again about the Sabbath day. It's over. Because the ordinances were wiped out. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. You can see the two themes running through this. Jesus Christ, by His death, reconciled us to God by perfectly fulfilling and abolishing those ordinances. And He united Jews and Gentiles to be able to worship side by side in a church pew together through the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no more distinction between them. None. So the Bible would say, in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither barbarian nor Scythian. Doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Having slain the enmity thereby, in verse 17, and came and preached peace. See, it's the, it's the practical phase, brethren. Verse 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Can you imagine if you were a Gentile in the city of Ephesus having Paul, a very learned Jew, come and tell you, I have peace in the Lord Jesus Christ that there is no longer any distinction. You can worship the God of heaven, the true God of heaven, through His Son, Jesus Christ, which has wiped out all the ordinances. You can worship right along with these converted Jews. I'll have communion with you any day. That is preaching peace, brethren. Peace with God and peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. To you which were afar off. Who are those? Gentiles, and to them that were nigh, Jews. For through Him, who do you think that is? Paul? Christ, you bet. 
For through Jesus Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Is that eternal, legal, vital, final, or practical? Practical. Our access to the Father is opened up. Did the Gentiles have access to the Father? None. Where did you have to go to have access to the Father? Into the holiest of all, where God would appear. And you had to go in there with certain kind of blood. Have you ever read about all the rituals of the Day of Atonement? The goats, the scapegoat, the blood, the blood on the thumb, the sprinkled blood, the blood inside? Have you read all that? Gentiles couldn't have access to God. But Paul came and preached peace. You Gentiles, you can go straight to God through a new high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done away with the Levitical priesthood. He's done away with all the Jewish ordinances. You Gentiles can go straight to God through Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and men. He is the apostle and high priest of our profession. And so peace was preached to these Ephesians about the fact that they were Gentiles, but it no longer made any difference. And that together with the Jews, they made up the new kingdom of God, the new church of God, the temple of God, the household of God, the family of God, the commonwealth of God. Call it anything you wish. It's the, it's the practical worship of the children of God in obedience who are believers, visible in the world. Jews and Gentiles do it the same way because he's made them into one body. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Jews and Gentiles can go straight to God. They do not need the Levitical priesthood. They just need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, you know, he started out with a wherefore. Back there in verse 11, wherefore, remember, remember where you were, remember what I've preached to you. Now let's draw a conclusion. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. You poor Gentiles don't have to feel bad about one single thing. Because you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are a fellow citizen with the Old Testament saints and of the house of God that he had for 2,000 years with the Jews. If you were to see my outline, and I don't see it anymore, but my outline says, Abraham, Moses, and David, here we come. Because we're fellow citizens with the saints. Those great sanctified heroes of the Old Testament, we're one with them now. Because Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of partition between us. It doesn't matter if we had an operation at eight days of birth. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter if you've had sacrifices according to the book of Leviticus. It's Jesus Christ by His shed blood opened up our way to God and wiped out any differences between the two. Therefore, we are no longer strangers and foreigners of the kingdom of God and His house and His temple, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. See, it's not Moses. It's not Samuel. It's not. Who is it? It's John the Baptist. You say, I don't see John in there. Was John the Baptist a prophet or not? It's the prophet. John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the apostles and the prophets that gave us the revelation of the New Testament. That's what we're built on. That is why, and this is so simple, We're a New Testament church. Do you know what it means when we say we're a New Testament church? Everything we believe and everything we do is contained in the New Testament that was written down or spoken by John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the apostles, and the prophets. This little bit of the Bible. 
And most of it's not the Gospels. It's the epistles of Paul. Do you know what he's going to tell us in the next chapter? I told you about this mystery. I told you about God making this unification of bringing the Jews and Gentiles together because God gave me knowledge of it more than any other man. It's been kept secret since the foundation of the world because God's been dealing only with the Jews, but now through my preaching, he's telling you Gentiles that through Jesus Christ you can come right on in. You're no more strangers and foreigners. You're fellow citizens with the saints, and we are built into a new church. The old church had a tabernacle or a temple. The new church has our temples as our bodies and our temples as a congregation and the whole church and congregation of the Lord as a place that God inhabits by his spirit. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're not built on their bones. We're not built on calling them saints and having pictures of them around the wall like a Catholic church. How are we built on them? What they taught. What they taught. And who was the greatest of them all? The cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. Elect and precious. The Lord Jesus Christ. In whom? In the Lord Jesus Christ, all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Every time a child of God is regenerated and converted by the gospel and pushed into this temple, it continues to grow. And when it stops growing after the last soul has been converted, it will be received up into heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ will present it to God. This is the whole body of God's believing elect throughout the world. This is the kingdom. This is the widest sense of the church. This is the widest sense of the household and temple of God, in whom all the building, the whole thing of Jews and Gentiles, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Then verse 22, in whom ye also. Because we've got ye, and because we've got also. Whenever you see also, you've got two things being compared. As soon as we see that word also, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Not only is there the whole group of God's elect called the family of God, the household of God, the temple of God, there is every local assembly. Every local assembly by itself is the body of Jesus Christ and the temple of God through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And what's it talking about there? The church at Corinth. What's it talking about right here? Ye also, the Ephesian saints, have been put it together in a local church relationship like we are for an habitation of God through the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in churches. He doesn't live in a temple made with, with hands that had a holy of holies and a, a, a little four and a half foot Ark of the Covenant with two cherubim over it. He doesn't, he doesn't dwell there. He dwells in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ who are built upon New Testament churches that are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's where God the Holy Spirit lives in this world. And we have access to God through that Spirit by coming into this assembly. Brethren, this is fantastic news. Let Let me take it one bit further to prove this all to you. That last verse is talking about the local church at Ephesus. The verses before that are talking about the whole family of God that worships God. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ gave a message 
to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he said, you've lost your first love. If you do not repent, what would he do? I'll remove the candlestick. What is the candlestick? The Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit, makes His churches His habitation in this earth. We don't need a temple in Jerusalem. We've got one in Greenville. And this temple's about to break up and go out the door because inside these walls, there's nothing but cheap carpet. This is not the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord is all of us together built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the apostles and prophets. I hope it's simple enough for you, brethren. Rejoice, ye Gentiles. Laud Him. Laud Him, all ye people. God has been merciful to us. He's brought us in to the commonwealth of His church and His kingdom, His house. God dwells with us as a church if we'll be faithful. If we're not faithful, He'll pull that candlestick away. We'll still think we're a church. We'll go through the motions and we won't have the presence of the Spirit of God among us. It would be the most terrible judgment possible to still think we're a church. We'd be unchurched by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made peace through His blood. I hope that I've honored Him today by preaching Him to each of you. And I call upon you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and bring forth the works that He quickened and created and worked in you with fear and trembling, work them out. Let's go out of this place and take care of our wives, take care of our children, and be the godly men that we should be. I don't care if you failed in the past. I've failed more than you have. Let's just confess it to God and go forward. And let's live like we're fellow citizens with the saints. Abraham, Moses, and David, here we come. May God be praised through Jesus Christ our Lord.